What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Wednesday, August the 30th, 2023. It's episode 170 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. You can find the podcast, really most of the platforms that you listen to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, in the po- in the podcast, in the moneypodcast.com. You can also listen over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernier Show. You'll get this episode along with the 169 prior. As always, please rate, review, subscribe. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Doesn't make a difference to me. Just interact. Leave comments beneath the video player. Um, Send me DMs over on Twitter if you want. Because I've got the notifications pretty well locked up. So unless I actually am familiar with who you are, easiest way to communicate, either DMs on Twitter or beneath the video player on YouTube. Uh, Before we dive into this week's show, first a word from our friends at the Breeders' Cup. We're thrilled to be partnered again with the Breeders' Cup for 2023. This weekend features five win-in-your-in-races on Saturday from coast to coast. We've got the Flower Bowl and the Jockey Club Gold Cup happening at Saratoga. Both are win-in-your-in-races, one for the Philly and Mare Turf, the Maker's Mark Philly and Mare Turf, and the other for the Longines Classic. On the West Coast, we have the FanDuel Racing Pacific Classic We've got the Green Flash Handicap, and we've got the Del Mar Handicap presented by the JRA. Those are winning your in races for the Longines Classic, the Turf Sprint, as well as the Longines Turf. Additionally, all entry fees for the winner will be covered and a $10,000 award to the nominator. Be sure to stay tuned in the Money Media for all of your Breeders' Cup coverage. It's the Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win, and you are in. I will be up at Woodbine. In about, yeah, call it two weeks' time for a win in your end event, that being the Woodbine Mile. So looking forward to getting back up north of the border. But we've got a lot of great racing coming up. All of these Breeders' Cup races that we just talked about, the racing at Saratoga, and then obviously, I'm a bit biased, but the FanDuel Racing Pacific Classic out west, certainly something you're going to want to look into and dive into, do a deep dive. All of that action will be covered over on FanDuel TV. But also speaking of FanDuel TV and FanDuel in general, I swear I'm not just pumping because I am an employee, but this week's show, we are going to be looking ahead to the upcoming Kentucky Downs meeting, the FanDuel meet at Kentucky Downs. It kicks off tomorrow, so you may or may not get this in time for opening day, but the I would say the real onus of this show for me was I'm going to be down there for five of the seven days, and I haven't had immense success at Kentucky Downs. I've had enough where it's not a disaster. It's not great, but it's not horrible. And the big thing that I wanted to try to find some kind of a bit of signal in the noise. What? Give me profiles. I'm a big believer in the track profile idea. I believe it was in Brohammer's book, Modern Pace Handicapping. Um, you can go through and the concept I've talked about many times in the past and I've done it in the past for other racetracks. And then you kind of get an idea of what works and what doesn't work in general. But if you truly want to have an up-to-date or an in-tune track profile, you can go through and it's as simple as distances, surfaces, where horses are at first call and second call. You can factor in the odds I would certainly factor in the class, which we'll talk about when I go over the Kentucky Downs information. But I wanted to have an idea where these horses are typically positioned. Is there any rhyme or reason as to why certain horses run well 
at Kentucky Downs and why others don't? Does it have to do with where they're positioned? At what point are they making their runs? X, Y, and Z. One piece of anecdotal evidence that I have really sunk my teeth into over the past two years, maybe even a little more than that, I would say three years, and it has been successful for me. Again, it is more anecdotal than you know evidence-based, but I've had success with it personally with gambling, so do with it what you will. And the same goes for the track profile. I'm telling you what I'm going to be operating off of and, and using to hopefully guide some opinions in the right direction. Acknowledging there could be accounting errors. I may have done math incorrectly, you know, when I'm counting up how far back certain horses are, this, that, or the other. So if you really want to go through and fact check it, that's your prerogative. You can do whatever you want there. But I've put together a track profile there for Kentucky Downs for all the different distances. And the anecdotal piece for me that I've had success with is the sort of, let's say, the the, the reciprocal form lines between Kentucky Downs and Keeneland. And that's important because we're only about a month away from Keeneland. So horses that run well at Kentucky Downs, I have found that they tend to run relatively well or true at Keeneland. And then vice versa, horses that have run well at Keeneland and have never set foot at Kentucky Downs, doesn't mean all of them are going to run, but I've found some that run better than others do. So I would say those are two tracks that you want to kind of keep in in mind that perhaps they are for whatever reason related because in terms of configuration they couldn't be farther apart but I found some success there let's see if the data that I've pulled over the past two years if we can glean anything from that perhaps there won't be anything that you find useful and you know what sometimes that's going to be the case when you go through and you pull data and you look for it you're trying to find something that's going to tell you or give you an indication of something you should be looking at that can lead to success or confirm your opinions, sometimes the data sets aren't going to give you anything. So we'll find out if there are any conclusions that we can draw from the information that I'll give to you, again, from 2022 and 2021, the majority of 21. I basically stopped at just over 100 for the sample size. And I know that's not a perfect, you know, it's still, grand scheme of things, pretty small. And then when you break it down by distance, it gets even smaller. Never mind class from there. You've got subsets on subsets, but we'll dive into that at the end. We'll also talk about the Kentucky Downs series of contests. And I say series of, it's it's the turf handicapping contest. The Kentucky Downs King of the Turf is the name of it. And it is a piece that goes on for a few different days. So we'll dive into that as well. But before we get into that, our friends at Adelphi Racing Club. They've got some runners coming up this week at Saratoga. It's closing week at the spa, believe it or not. I'm sure some folks are going to expect me to discuss the Travers and and the unfortunate things that happened at Saratoga leading into the Travers. You know, I'm just going to leave it at this. Me saying this needs to change, that needs to change. Truthfully, everyone that cares about the horses, the people involved, the industry as a whole, we all feel that way. What exactly needs to be done? I don't know. I'm not smart enough. I don't know if it's the track. I don't know if it's the horses. I don't know if it's the way that the horses are being trained. It, it could be, it's probably all of the above. So I'm not going to say, I'm not smart enough to know those sort of things. And we can all have opinions. We can all throw things out there until there's data to tell you conclusively one thing or the other. 
it's it's just a lot of hot air. You you don't ever want anything bad to happen. Period. End of story. If you do, you're sick. You deserve to get thrown out. But I also don't want to sit here and you know, oh, so and so needs to do this, and we need to because I I don't have information. I don't have enough data to back up anything with real conviction. It would just be me kind of spouting off, and that doesn't do anyone any good. And I appreciate the folks. I've read a number of op-eds and, you know, people throwing out their opinions, and, and these are informed opinions. I don't I don't feel like I have enough information to really say anything one way or the other, other than it's it's tragic. It's terrible the way things have gone, and and hopefully, uh, hopefully it's in, in the past, and we can start to kind of figure out what the, the story is. The racing at Saratoga does continue, though. <clears throat> Excuse me. And our friends at Adelphi Racing Club have two runners in on Friday's card up at the spa. Friday, September the 1st. August is coming gone. It's sad. Because that, for me, in my head, I immediately think... I know football's coming and we're all excited about that. But it means that summer is basically over. Once the calendar flips from August to September, folks like me, I don't I don't love the winter. Doesn't really do me any good. I, I skiing is fun. I'm not particularly good at it. I can get down the mountain. I'm not, you know, I'm going down on the not a bunny slope or whatever the next one is. I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm at a point in life where I for what? What do I, I don't need to add a risk to my life. Okay. So August has come and gone. Still have closing weekend at the spa. And Adelphi has two runners entered. Let's start off with the third race of the day, which, well, you know, let's start with the first race. And I won't spend a ton of time on this runner just because we talked about him last week in the the idea that hard pars race didn't go. He shows up here for Ray Handel's barn. I get there. This is, in theory, a hiking class. He's coming out of New York bred maiden special weight where he ran second at a million to one. He ran a big race that day back on July the 27th. Now he takes on open maiden specials. And maybe you look at it and go, oh, you know, big class hike, big class hike. Well, you take a look at the horses that have run so far. He has as good a chance as anyone. And then on top of it, if you've got a horse that you think is capable of, of winning a, a New York bred maiden special. Why wouldn't you test the open waters when the New York bred maiden special purse is 88, just under 90,000 and the open is over 135,000. So I think it's the right move for Adelphi and everybody involved. You would think that this horse is going to improve in start number two. He's by hard spun. He's out of a strategic mission mare. The, the key, I think, for hard par, and I'm not even factoring in the other first-time starters in here, but let's let's take a look at specifically the three Son of a Ship and the six Reverend Moon. No disrespect to, to the seven Seagal in here, or Seagali, however you'd like to say it. The, the key that both the three and the six have over hard par, who is number five on Friday, is in the debuts, or in their runs so far, because the three Son of a Ship has run four times, They've shown speed and speed going short on turf typically wins out. But 
with the finish that hard par at least displayed in the debut rallying from five off of it you would like to think that he gets out of there a little bit sharper this time around and if he's within let's say two lengths instead of being five out of it as they turn for home well hopefully that late kick is still potent and he's still going to be able to box on he's nine to two on the morning line just that natural move from start one to start two for as well as he ran in the debut beneath katie davis i think hard par is certainly one if you're playing any of the multis keep in mind this is going to be the kickoff leg of everything this is the early pick five you've got pick threes that get going here you've got the early double at the very least if you're playing a caveman ticket you're using the five hard par and if you're playing sort of tearing your opinion he's probably an a is he alone a that's your prerogative i don't know that i'd go that far just mainly because of that speed factor and the pace early on but he'd certainly be an a because i think he's one of the most likely winners in that race adelphi also has another runner in race number three this is a state bred n2x for phillies and mares going six on the main track and in this spot you've got rebo's valentine who's going to be making the second start off the bench for ray handel has got some speed but is not dependent on the lead i think that's whenever you see a horse like this that has proven that they can pass runners and not just pass from within a length or so you can sit two three four off of it and come with a run if you can sit and you can be effective going to the front that's that sort of perfect storm that perfect blend that puts you in a great spot now that run on august the third was this Philly's first start in about two months time she showed a little bit of speed and got tired if you think she's going to improve second start off the bench which keep in mind go back to her debut in december of 21 she ran well enough in that start she comes right back she wins breaks her maiden by more than six in the second start so second start of the form cycle i think is an important one for rebo's valentine she's a four-year-old daughter of point of entry out of a dixieland band mare named jazz dancer and i think the versatility that she brings to the table can't be overlooked if the pace doesn't go she goes on with it if they line up early katie davis can sit try to come with a run rounding the far turn i will say the concern for this horse and i have not looked at the extended forecast would be if it comes up wet because to me i know she hasn't run poorly she's at the board in two of the three wet track starts but really when you go and look she, she hasn't been all that competitive in those races so i want a fast main strip i like the slight turn back to six second start of the form cycle and you're going to get a square price she's six to one on the morning line maybe she comes down a hair from there but i don't think it would be much rebo's valentine number six in race number three on friday up at the spa again you've got two horses entered for our friends at adelphi racing club you're going to want to get involved and check out what they have to offer all the ways to get in touch website adelphiracing.com email matt at adelphiracing.com social media on instagram at adelphi underscore racing and on twitter at adelphi club now let's pivot our attention to kentucky downs as we get ready for the FanDuel meet at kentucky downs before we get into the nuts and bolts of the track profile let's talk about some contests that you need to be involved in kentucky downs is happy to be announcing once again the king of the turf handicapping contest series this is a series that will consist of three one-day contests that will all offer 
individual prizes at the end of the three contest series, the overall winner will be crowned King of the Turf, National Turf Handicapping Champion, and they will receive a BCBCC plus a wrestling-style championship belt. Now, you must play in all three of the contests in order to be eligible for the King of the Turf crown, or I suppose in this instance it would be a belt instead of a crown. All the contests, all three of them, they're online only. So you can play at home, you can play at the track if you want, but you have to play online. And TVG slash FanDuel, uh, 4NJ Bets if you're in New Jersey, that is one of the providers of the contest. So you can play through your account there. Feeders are also currently available over on horse tourneys. If you're a player who qualifies on horse tourneys, you receive a seat into all three contests. It's not a matter of, okay, I won this contest, this feeder, I'm into one of them. No, if you're in, you get into all three of them. Each year, Kentucky Downs offers exactly what contest players are looking for, big fields of competitive racing. These contests have grown each year that these folks have done them, and they are looking forward to another great year down there in Franklin, Kentucky. Here's the info for the three contests. All contests will consist of Kentucky Downs racing only. Three separate contests, all KY Downs. Win, place, show, exact, and daily double wagering. The first one is Thursday, August the 31st. It's opening day. $400 buy-in, $200 bankroll, $200 entry fee. You must wager at least $40 on a minimum of five Kentucky Downs races. Based on 150 entries, the top three will receive NHC seats. The top 10 will receive cash prizes. Sunday, September the 3rd, it's a $500 buy-in, 250 bank, 250 entry fee. You must wager at least $50 on a minimum of five Kentucky Downs races. Based on 150 entries, one BCBC seat will be awarded and two NHC seats will be going out. Top 10 finishers that day will also receive cash prizes. And then Saturday, September the 9th, $800 buy-in, $400 bank, $400 entry fee, you must wager at least $80 on a minimum of five Kentucky Downs races based on the 150 entries, two BCBC seats, and three NHC seats will be awarded alongside the top 10 receiving cash prizes. Again, it is the King of the Turf Handicapping Contest Series at Kentucky Downs, and it all kicks off on opening day. To be eligible to win the title and the belt, if you will, you need to play in all three of them. So again, you can play online. It's the only way that you can play. You can play from all over the place. And as always, TVG slash 4NJ bets is an option for those of you that are looking to play online. Now, if you are looking to play, maybe this segment coming up can help you out a little bit as far as trying to figure out where the heck these horses need to be positioned to have success at Kentucky Downs. This may not be for everyone. Again, a bit dense, but if you're playing Kentucky Downs and you haven't done this kind of exercise... And really, this works for any racetrack, but Kentucky Downs is top of mind because they're opening up on Thursday. I wanted to go through and see over the past year plus, let's call it almost two years, where are these horses positioned when they go and win these races at Kentucky Downs? It's such an odd configuration. You run uphill, you take a right-hand turn, and then you big, big sweeping left-hand turn, and then a stretch that goes on forever in a day. So... Normally, if I'm going to put together a track profile, it's going to exclude two-year-old racing, and it's going to exclude maiden races. The problem with as short as these meets are at Kentucky Downs, if you do that, you have hardly anything to work with. So just for 
the sake of, I didn't even separate the two-year-old races, but if I separated the maiden races, both maiden and claiming, for, uh, excuse me, uh, both maiden special and maiden claiming, from the overall sample that I've had over the past two years, the better part of two years, I would go from a sample of 102 down to a sample of 70, which may not sound huge, but I mean, truthfully, it's just over 30%. So I'm going to kind of compare and contrast what happens when you pull the maiden specials and the maiden claiming from the rest of the sample. And part of the reason is, or part of the rationale is, you want horses that are out of their maiden rank, their maiden condition, because they're more consistent. They're better. You don't get as many completely ridiculous results. Now, I'm not saying you don't get them, but I think you get more signal using those kind of races than your maiden race where a horse happens to just break, opens up by five, nobody can catch him at 50 to one. That could certainly happen with you know, winners. But I think those races are a little bit cleaner in terms of the data that you're trying to analyze. So if we include all the horses in this sample, for reference, the distances that I've gone through and pulled, six furlongs, six and a half furlongs, seven furlongs, eight furlongs, mile 70, nine and a half furlongs, 10 and a half furlongs, and 12 furlongs. Those last three races being a mile and three sixteenths, mile and five sixteenths, and a mile and a half. So three races primarily comprise this 102 sample. The six and a half furlong races, there are 32 of those. The eight furlong races, there are 38 of those. And the 10 and a half furlong races, there are 13 of those. To go along with that, you've got two six furlongs, you've got seven seven furlongs, six mile 70 yarders, one nine and a half and three 12 furlong events two of which are the kentucky cup and this year it's the FanDuel kentucky cup so 102 what do we do with that from here i want to go through and let's focus on the three primary distances and i'm going to call them the primary distances maybe this meet there will be more or less run at different configurations but six and a half eight and ten and a half those are the first three that i'm going to hone in on now if you use all of the classes maidens to graded stakes of the 32 races that were run average beaten lengths or lengths behind at the first call three and a half at the second call 2.4 so effectively Six and a half for a long race. The first call is going to be a quarter mile into the race. So it'll put you at basically the, the half mile pole, which ends up being about halfway around the far turn. On average, sample size of 32, the winner is three and a half lengths off of it. Second call, which is at the quarter pole, which is actually into the stretch, as opposed to your traditional oval, where your quarter pole is more or less kind of at still not quite at the top of the lane, just in behind it, kind of, you know what I'm talking about. 2.4 lengths. Now to take another sort of data point, those are just for the winners. I also went through and did this for the second place finishers. For those of you that like to play exactas and things like that, which if you're playing in the king of the turf handicapping contests, 
you probably want to be looking into those kind of horses that are going to run underneath. Average at first call, beaten lengths, 3.1. At second call, 2.1. So the second place finishers were actually slightly closer to the pace than the winners were on average. Now that's a sample of 32, including the maidens. If you pull the maidens from the data set, the 32 races dropped to 22 races. And now listen to this in terms of how that changes the beaten lengths or the lengths behind at points of call. Average first call in a six and a half of the winner, 2.7. So they have been closer to the front end. At second call, 1.7. So basically, by the time they hit the quarter pole, the winners of the races featuring nothing but winners are on average a length and a half off the pace. The runners-up were actually behind those horses. So to me, there are two things that you can pull from that. The runners-up in the races that are featuring nothing but winners, they were three back at first call, two back at second call. So what that says to me is that when you add in the maiden claimers and the maiden specials, it... In a weird way, it allows, and I say in a weird way, it kind of makes sense. Better horses can just go on by others, okay? When you got a bunch of maidens, especially these are going to be a combination of two-year-olds and three-year-olds, maybe you've got a horse that breaks a little bit slow, but it's just better than everyone else. And they're going to loop the field and they'll go right on by. So they can be a little bit farther off of it, and they're just going to win on talent alone. Once you break through those maiden ranks... That doesn't play out as much. These horses are much closer to the front end because they're winners for a reason. They got through the maiden ranks for a reason. They've got a bit of tactical speed. They can be closer to the pace and they can still finish. So I found that interesting that there's a a fairly large difference in the six and a half furlong races between the winners and then the sample that has winners and maidens in it. Now, if we do the same thing For the mile races, we include everyone, the maidens along with the winners. Got a sample of 38, average beaten lengths at the first call, three lengths, at the second call, a length and a half. Now keep in mind, when you go from a sprint to a route, the points of call are different. Okay, so the the pace call in a mile race, the first call is now the half mile split, so the opening half. The second call ends up being three quarters into it. So it is it is effectively just that. Your second call is going to be at the quarter pole because three quarters of the race has come and gone. Your first call is going to be at the half pole, which again at Kentucky Downs is right around halfway, around that sweeping bend. So you've had all that run up the backside, that weird little dog leg out to the right, and then you've started to make the move down the hill taking the left-hand turn before you hit the air quotes pace call, okay? You got to be within three there. By the time you hit that quarter pole, top of the lane, you got to be within a length and a half. For the runners up, 3.2 and two lengths. So very similar. Out of a sample of 38, not much separating the winners from the second place finishers. Three back at first call versus 3.2. One and a half back at second call versus two. Now, if we pull the maidens from this sample, 
the numbers are nearly identical. Sample drops to 24 from 38. First call, the winners, three lengths back. At second call, 1.6 compared to three and 1.5. So that to me is a much clearer indicator of where you need to be compared to the six and a half. Six and a halfs, yes, you could argue that they need to be closer, but the combination of the maidens with the winners kind of shows you that horses can make runs from all over the place. Whether there are maidens in this sample with the mile races or it's just winners, the horses that win these races at eight furlongs, it's a it's, it's a pretty crystal clear winning recipe. The second place finishers, 3.1 back at first call, 2.3 back at second call. So effectively, by the time you hit the half mile pole, you'd better be within three lengths to give yourself as good a chance of winning as possible. And the other caveat here is, anyone that's put together a track profile knows this, this is not to say that you cannot win doing something different. But on average, this is what it all boils down to. And some folks will like to include in these sort of things the, the minimum, basically how, you know, can you win from being two up? More often than not, you can. More importantly, how far back can you be and still be successful? But then you've got to factor in dynamics and things like that. Was it a, a pace meltdown? Is it part of the reason that you were 10 back to begin with because there was just a streak off? And truth be told, at that point, you should probably strip it from the, the data set because it's going to be a bit of an outlier. But point being, you can find more information on track profiles if you're interested in putting one together. To me, the eight furlong races are crystal clear. Be within three after the opening half and then be within about a length and a half or two lengths once you hit that quarter pole to give yourself a true chance to get the job done. Now, I also find it interesting that the 10 and a half furlong races, if you include all classes, they kind of continue to play more toward the idea that speed is advantageous. And this is something I've talked about on dirt. The longer the races get, speed becomes more dangerous. The Belmont Stakes, part of the reason that horses typically end up being successful when they're more forward than not is because everyone is tired at the end. No one's making these wicked moves. You think about the configuration of Kentucky Downs. They finish going slightly uphill before you basically get to a little plateau and it levels off right at the wire. So if you've got to come with some wicked run from the back of the pack, you not only need the horses in front of you to start backing up, but you've got to be finishing in a major way and you're running uphill. So a sample of 13 races at 10 and a half furlongs, the average at the first call is two lengths and the average at the second call is a half length, 0.6 lengths. Now the runner's up, a little bit farther back, 3.1 and 1.7, which kind of plays into what I was just talking about. These horses that are coming from farther back, oh boy, what is going on outside? False alarm, we're good. But back to the idea that the horses that are coming from farther back, you got to come with this crazy run, you need to have the horses in front of you stopping, and you've got to come with that run going uphill. That, that's a that's a big equation that you're going to have to put together to come out on top if you're rallying from too far off of it, going more than a mile and a quarter here. 
Now, if you pull the maidens from that sample size, you're going to bring it from a sample of 13 to 11, so it doesn't change dramatically. We only lose two, but I, again, you know, in the grand scheme of things, two from a sample of 13 is substantial. But the numbers are almost identical. First call with the winners, 1.9 lengths back. Second call, 0.7 lengths. And then your runner's up three lengths back and then one and a half lengths back. So the idea is the longer it goes, the more advantageous it is for you to be forwardly placed. And really, you can almost tear this all the way down. You look at the difference between the longest race to the medium sort of distance race to the short race, the 10 and a half to the eight to the six and a half, the 10 and a halfs, you are better being closer. The eights, you can be within a few, but I wouldn't suggest coming from the clouds. And then the shorter races are the ones where you can actually get a little bit of chaos, where these horses can fly from the back of the pack. And if you go through and look at the charts, you'll find that, I don't want to say, I mean, again, this is just painting with a broad brush, but the idea that almost all the time, it seems like, within the top three, you've got a horse that was relatively close to the front end, and then you've got a horse that came from nearly dead last. So those sprint races seem to lend themselves to seeing horses come from farther off of it. Where again, you think about it, the energy needed going uphill at the end, well, it's only six and a half furlongs, I say only, a little more than three quarters of a mile. If your closing kick in a sprint is that much better, maybe you're going to be able to run them down even though you are going uphill. The longer races, everyone is gassed at the end of it. So in order for someone to come and run you down, if you've got that upper hand on them from a tactical standpoint, they need to be so much better than you. Now, how do you put all this into practice? This doesn't mean that you just sit there and let's say I'm, I'm making it up. Zenyatta were running in a 10 and a half for a long race at Kentucky Downs. I Just work with me here. A horse that, think of the best closing kick that you can think of, okay? If they're the best horse in the race, they're probably still going to win. But I think a track profile, what it enables you to do, or the way that I've used it in the past, is maybe it can give you a little bit more clarity, especially when you're looking at some prices. Let's say there's a horse that you think is going to be 15 to 1. And they fit the profile beautifully. And maybe there aren't killers in the race or the horses that are going to be heavily bet you're not thrilled with. And to take it another step, let's say the horse that you really don't like that's going to be a short price is a one-run closer in this fake 10 and a half for a long race. And the horse you like that's going to be 15 to 1 fits the profile to a T. And better yet, maybe has shown a little bit of success at, at a track like Keeneland's turf course. Okay. That to me becomes a really interesting betting opportunity. And that's all you're looking to do. For a meet like Kentucky Downs, it's short. You've got seven racing days. To me now, I'm going into this this week when I get down there. I fly down on Friday. I'll be there Saturday, Sunday. I'll come home Monday. I'll fly back down on Wednesday to get ready for the following week's racing. To me, I want to make a score in this five days that I'm down there. I'm not going to try to grind it out because I think that's going to be a futile exercise. But my suggestion would be, unless you're playing in the contests, which again, we 
strongly encourage. Go through these cards. Find some horses you think are interesting. Maybe that fit this profile. And you know what? If you want to keep going through, do your own work. I would also suggest um, if you are someone who gets the emails from In The Money Media, Tyler Wisman did a, a fabulous breakdown of data points. He is part of Thoroughpace. And I don't want to... I'm not going to give it all away, put it that way. But he's got some some fabulous data points that you can work with going from 2019 to 2022. He's got some little pieces in there, lays out post positions, shippers, <coughs> excuse me, this, that, and the other. You name it, you can find it. I think it's going to be a very interesting piece that you can use to your advantage. Couple that with the track profile. Try to find some horses that you think are going to be numbers and just get alive to them. Just get alive to them. I, I'm growing more and more convinced, unless you're a professional, and even the professionals, you know, I mean, this applies for them. But let's say you're someone like me, okay? I am not a professional gambler. I want to put myself in a position where if I can make a score, that sets me up. I'm more or less good for the year. Playing with, I don't want to say house money because that's such a, it's it's an overused term, but it's also, I think, an incorrect term. Once you've won, that's your money. But point being, I want a score that's going to help supplement me for the rest of the year, personally, with finances and investments and whatever else it may be. A professional, maybe you're approaching it differently. We don't even need to get into all the rebates and this, that, and the other. But the idea of, Maybe you're just trying to get out even for the meat. That is not me, and I, I would venture a guess and say that's not the majority of the people that listen to this show. The majority, try to set yourself up for a score. These are seven great racing days. There are going to be giant fields, and there are going to be opportunities. You're going to see some of these returns on these pick threes that are enormous. Let's say it ends up being a pick three that comes back $300. The difference this time around now when you put your tickets together, and I'll just tell you what I've done. I was just texting with Mike Joyce the other day about it. I've almost exclusively gotten to the point. I did it last weekend with the Travers. Didn't work out with, with Scotland, but I have no complaints. And even to be fair, it didn't come back all that great simply because Echo Zulu was part of that sequence. But the idea of get me alive to the horse that I like. I want to tier my pick threes if I'm playing pick four, pick five, whatever it is, but I've really leaned into the pick threes. I'm going to tier accordingly. Let's say I go two by two by one. And I've got one main, one main, one main, one backup, one backup, and the only main. That all A ticket, let's say my budget for the day is 100 bucks. That all A ticket. So effectively, I've got three tickets. I guess if you wanted to use... When I'm going that narrow, maybe I'll play a backup, backup, main ticket. So let's say it's four tickets all in for a hundred bucks. I'm going to play that all A ticket for $50. I'll play ABA or ACA, however you want to say it. And then CAA, I'll probably play each of those for, let's say 20. So there's 90 bucks. And then I'll play backup, backup A for 10. So now let's say... 
I just have a day that I'm locked in. And let's say that horse that I like in the last wins and is 15 to one on the line. And that pick three for a dollar is coming back 100, 200. Let's go 200. Let's get greedy. And I've got it 50 times. That's how you set yourself up. That's how you set yourself up. We're not... I say we. Most people are not in this to churn daily. It's not going to work out in the long run. I think you just need to put yourself in the position to make a score. I've done a 180 on this over the years. I believe Andy Byer said it many, many moons ago. But the modern day game is about a score. It's not about just grinding away, grinding away, grinding away. Unless you're getting a rebate or a kickback or something like that. I am not, and I venture a guess to say most of you are not either. So I want to be in a position where I can turn my $100 investment for the day into ten grand, Or close to it. Or more. That's just my thought. Looking forward to getting down to Kentucky Downs again. It's been a few years. I We did a show last year, but I was uh, in the studios in Stanford for NBC. I was down there two years ago. Looking forward to getting back down there and taking in some fantastic racing. It's Kentucky Downs. They are on deck. They kick off on Thursday. Let me know your thoughts about the track profile, about handicapping contests, about wagering strategy and thoughts and philosophy. Um, if you found this useful, if you found this extremely boring, maybe it's both. I get it. It's kind of dense, but maybe there's a purpose for it. Uh, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, probably again better off DMing me at Bernie or underscore Matt. You can catch all the FanDuel meet from Kentucky Downs on FanDuel TV. Again, I'll be down there this weekend and next week. Then I will come home and then I will head to Woodbine for the Woodbine Mile. I'll be doing that show with my buddy Edzo going over that for NBC. Uh, until then, this has been episode 170 of the show. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. Chat again next week. <laughs>